what was that Spencer like? Okay. Eighth, eighth, ninth, tenth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth grade. Uh, you know, I had dealt with acne for a yeah. while, so I had to do the Accutane thing. Had yeah. braces when I was like a senior in high school, so that was awkward. Of course, I think of a photo I posted a couple times of my bleach blonde hair and I've earrings. Seen that one. I mean, it's yes. it is a far cry from what you see today. I'm also holding the the one thing that's the real uh, piece de resistance, if mm-hmm. you will, is the um, I'm holding a baby tiger in this yeah, photo, well, like a real life baby right. tiger. Oh, oh wait, hey, we have it. Will... <laughs> so if you're not watching, you should find a way to watch this or go back and look at this picture. Spencer Smith, welcome. Oh, hey, thanks, Scott. <laughs> What's your title at Pareto? Cheers. Cheers. Um, so my title is SVP of Consultant Development. Um, kind of, we made that title together uh, based on what the vision was for the role and what thought it would do, mm-hmm. and based on you know my track record and all that stuff. So the really, it's about um, working with consultants to broadly uh, provide education, mm-hmm. uh, laying the foundation, so they'd be prepared eventually, of course, to talk to Pareto and, and do what we do. Right. By the way, what's your middle name? Harlan. That's right. Because it would be just too cool if we had the same initials. What is, yeah, what's your middle uh, name? Alan. I'm okay. Scott Allen Smith. So you're sass. I am sassy. And I'm shh. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> what just happened recently? Oh, can I tell the story? Have I told the story on the podcast about the name thing? Um, I was at uh, an event recently, uh, a travel industry event. And I was in line waiting to get a bus um, to go back to the hotel. And I heard a lady behind me say, yeah, it's my son Carson's last football game. I'm missing it. And I just turned around. I'm like, oh, is your son named Carson? She said, yes. I said, my son is named Carson too. We're like, oh, isn't that cute? Um, That was it. Okay. We get on the bus and uh, I hear her. She's getting in the seat behind me. And someone said, hey, Valerie, do you want to get on the outside? I turned back around and I was like, is your name (laughs) Valerie? And she's like, yes. I'm like, my wife's name is Valerie. She's like, well, that is weird. Yeah. And I said, that's so funny. I said, by the way, what is your son's middle name? And she looked at my name tag. She said, oh, it's actually Scott. I'm like, that is my son's name, Carson Scott Smith. She said, wow, my name is Sims. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I'm like, this is, it was, we were, it was kind of a wow moment. And I said, okay, what is your name, your middle name? And I said, and if you say, and at the same time we said Lynn, I now I actually I don't even like to curse that much. I said, "Shut the f up." Yeah, you yeah. are joking me. She said, "You're lying." I'm like, "We, your middle name is Lynn." I said, "That is my wife's middle name. Her name is Valerie Lynn," and she was like, "This can't be right." Yeah, it is that not that's weird. I would say the statistical improbability of that is almost off the charts. Right? I would like, think like so. That many names and yeah. connections with one single person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. So we went, you know, like birthdays. It, it stopped there, thank goodness. Because if it would have got so weird, I would have, you know, questioned, you know, I don't know, something. It, but this is like reason 4,882. I think we're in the matrix in some way. Yeah. Because these yeah, things yeah. happen. Anyway, I don't know how we got. We already like, got, yeah, we could go down the path of Mandela effect after that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But we don't have to if you don't want to, Scott. Well, we. Might be not right. Is that. I don't know what the theme is of this podcast. Conspiracy theories is what I assumed. Right? <laughs> well, I think it's somewhat schizophrenic because every time we have a podcast, I end up saying, well, we got off the rails early. Yeah. That's okay. It's meant to actually just get to know you better. The cool. theme is, it's about the guest. 
So now we have, okay, let's try to figure this out. When was our first interaction? Mm. Like, was it a LinkedIn, like reach out by one of us? Did I reach out? Did you reach out? Like, I don't know if my memory serves me correctly, but I believe I probably reached out to you. um, And I believe the reason was I go, hey, this true network thing looks pretty cool. And I love your content you're putting out. I'd love to connect with you. I think it was something to that effect. And that may have started the the question of whether or not, you know, we could do a podcast eventually. But I came here before you came there to Frisco, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. But I think, I think, does that recollection sound like it's possibly uh, yeah, true? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, because I was thinking the other possibilities, I just saw the podcast. And it was definitely out, LinkedIn. So it was cool. Yeah. It was definitely LinkedIn. So you came here first. I did. Yeah. And we talked. Yeah. Okay. This is where my age and memory really starts to show. <laughs> we did an interview. Yeah, we did. But it wasn't a podcast. No, we did a podcast. It was yours. It was my podcast. It was your podcast, but you did it here. Yeah. Okay, see, now That's I'm back. Weird. Yeah. I'm back. And we did yeah. the, the lake in the background. Oh, yeah. We did it at, at City Harbor, this cool development yeah. down here. And your incredible creative director had set up this amazing like yes. whole solo shoot and looked beautiful. Um, and then we we covered True on the first yes, one. Yes, yes, yes. Then you came down to Frisco nah, six months later, and we talked more about leadership i think and yep. life and legacy i think legacy was a big theme uh-huh. of that episode and we decided intentionally to abandon insurance before that one yeah right i'm gonna not intentionally abandon insurance because we'll probably weave it into your story okay but i do want to learn about you so um where were you born i was born in arlington texas okay uh, so where the cowboys are now mm-hmm. they weren't then but arlington texas Actually born in the same hospital as my mom was born. Okay. You know, 50 some odd years. No, well, what was she? 40, 40 when, no. Shoot, now my math is, I've got, now I've got the old brain kicking <laughs> in with me. I think 30 some odd years difference. But um, yeah, born in the same hospital, grew up in Arlington, Texas. Before it kind of exploded like it has now. And then in my high school years, we moved to a smaller town adjacent to it called Mansfield, Texas, mm-hmm. uh, which was a sleepy sort of suburban only town, kind of skirting the edge of rural, uh, you know, Texas, uh, but enough where you could get to Arlington for the mall and all the stuff you needed. And then we'd go out and have field parties in Mansfield with bonfires and things like that on the weekends. And what kind of little kid were you? I'm talking like, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight. I have, I well, I I didn't send Britt this picture. I have a picture. I was kind of a, so I had some influence from my dad and my mom, but my, I think as a kid, the way I was dressed was heavily influenced by my mom. So I like have this picture of um, I'm wearing a, you know, a button up shirt with suspenders, oh. you know, I'm looking all <laughs> fancy and some slacks. I think that was definitely my mom. Uh, but I actually wasn't a very outgoing kid. Um, I liked one or two or three really good friends and I'm still the same to this day. Uh, but I wasn't the center of attention. I wasn't the guy that would walk in a room and want to like play with all the kids. I'd pick mm-hmm. one kid and sit down and want to play with them and like kind of have a deep friendship with, with them. Right. Um, soccer player, but not till like eight. So okay. really I, the early days, anything kind of pre that era, I don't even think I have vivid memories right. of it. Siblings? A sibling. So two sisters. Um, I was an only child till 10. Oh. Parents go, whoops, 10 years into my life. Had one, 15 months later, whoops. Double whoops? Double whoops. Wow. Um, So somewhat close to Irish twins, right? Um, But my mom was actually in her 40s when she had them. So like at that time in the, what was the 90s, right? Yeah. That was pretty, you know, having children in the 40s was kind of like 
you know, felt like, oh, it was risky or yeah. what. But uh, yeah, both of them healthy. One of them was a couple of weeks premature, but uh, both of them healthy and thriving. So. so so you're 10 and 11 years older. Yeah. Um, I'm eight years older than my brother. So okay. similar stuff. Like I didn't have much of a relationship. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I love my little brother, little guy, you know, yeah. but when he was in his mid twenties, maybe, you know, cause he was a musician. So he was, you know, highly irresponsible till about 28. Um, <laughs> uh, but was a super talented musician, toured with some cool acts, Sugarland and some other people. But when he became an adult, we became best friends. Okay. But it took a long time. Was there anything like that with well, either so one I of yours? I was actually going to, my experience parallels yours. So 10 and 11, babies entering in the fold. Mm. Was an only child, thought I was going to be an only child. Yeah. Right? I didn't have any like um, resentment, but I was creeping up into the preteen years and mm -hmm. the teenage years when my sisters were like toddlers, you know? So I could not have been more annoyed by their existence for a period of time because they would fight and scream and they were little kids. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're this teenager that, you know, you're, the world you feel like revolves around you. You're all self-absorbed when you're a teenager. So the fact that they were in there and the way our house was designed, we actually grew up in a barn, believe oh, it or not. So okay. it was a barn converted into a house. So think framing like this and goes up. Mm -hmm. um, through the center was actually a garage, so you could drive all the way through, horse stalls on one side. So the layout of the house was funky. Kitchen upstairs. Oh, okay. Two bedrooms upstairs, but you had to walk through my bedroom to get to my sister's bedroom, and they shared a room. So like, they're constantly back and right. forth, and I'm just like, oh my God, they're screaming. I'm yelling downstairs, mom, dad, you right. know, like they're, I can't deal with them. And so it did take me a while until they were actual adults before I really, I would say, bonded with yep. them. And because there was such a dis disconnect in age and then boy and girl too. Mm -hmm. So we didn't play together growing up or anything like that. It was a, it was like you're in between being almost like a babysitter and yeah. their brother. You know? Well, teenagers by and large are selfish. Oh yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean, so you're not really thinking about like, well, there are probably, if girls are older, they're probably better at this genetically, just mm -hmm. probably a little better being a caretaker, but it's just hard to, be a 15, 16, 17 year old and like get actively engaged in like a four year old, yeah. five year old. Um, so, um, so you started playing soccer at eight. Yes. Were you like good right away? Not really. Okay. No, honestly, um, I is kind of playing catch up. You know, I don't know how your, your kids were, but nowadays with my little ones, you know, you're playing sports at three, at four. Yeah. It's kind of bananas. Mm -hmm. um, so back then, starting at eight, you weren't completely behind the eight ball. But, you know, kids had played for a couple years prior to me. I started in rec like anybody else. So it really took me a few years to kind of catch. I started getting good really in early high school mm -hmm. and then really just took off like a hockey stick my junior year. Yeah. But it was because I started dedicating myself pretty significantly to, right. to getting good. I think the passion... I don't know if you've, you're like this where there's like a singular thing you only want to do all mm -hmm. the time. And that was soccer for me in, in high school. That's really cool. Um, in, in those middle school, early high school years, those tend to be kind of awkward ages for oh, kids. Yeah. You're trying to find yourself. Puberty's kicking in. So what was that Spencer like? Okay. Eighth, eighth, ninth, tenth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth grade. Well, I think it's probably fairly common knowledge that people follow me. I like heavy metal. Yep. Um, so it was angsty, right, to a mm -hmm. degree. But in this weird world where we're like the baggy jeans that were frayed at the bottom and then a polo up top, right? right? So like it was like business on top, party yeah. on the bottom, <laughs> I guess. Um, but I, you know, had dealt with acne for a yeah. while. So I had to do the Accutane thing, had yeah. braces when I was like a senior in high school. So that was awkward. 
course, I think I have a photo I posted a couple times of my bleach blonde hair and earrings. I mean, it's yes. it is a far cry from what you see today. But I think the interesting thing, and I'm glad I went through a phase like that. My parents were very cool. They would just say, hey, as long as you're getting good grades and doing your thing, you can be whoever you want to be. And we're, we're fine with it. So there weren't any real strict, rigid guardrails put on. But by being able, I guess, to be flexible about mm -hmm. that stuff. I never felt I had to rebel against anything either. Right. And so I just went through that phase and then figured out who I was over time. And, uh, you know, I look back at that time as a really kind of pivotal, I think, period that shaped who I am today. I think everyone should go to your LinkedIn and go see that picture. Go, go back to you see that picture. Okay. It's, it's pretty funny. I'm also holding the, the one thing that's the real uh, piece de resistance, if mm -hmm. you will, is the. Um, I'm holding a baby tiger in this yeah, photo, well, like a real life baby right. tiger. Because we were the Mansfield Tigers. Right. So our mascot was a tiger. This was pre-Tiger King, long time ago. This is like 2000. Um, and some lady, some mom on the team <laughs> had a friend who had to hook up with baby tigers. Don't know how, didn't ask questions. <laughs> we show up to our senior photos. We're wearing our letter jackets, you mm -hmm. know? And they're like, oh, by the way, each of you get to pose with a baby tiger however you want, you know? And then we did a, I think we either did a group photo or we did some sort of Photoshop where they cropped us all in together and we're right. all holding tigers. And I don't think anybody did the Simba thing, but my <laughs> buddy had it like on his shoulder and I'm just holding it like, I didn't know what to do with a baby tiger quite yes. honestly. And they got cranky after a while too. So they started growling. And so we'd have to swap them. We would rotate them out oh. so they didn't bite anybody. The Simba thing was Simp was was oh oh wait hey we have it <laughs> so if you're not watching you should find a way to watch this or go back and look at this picture yeah well so I can, I can describe in case we got just listeners uh, city well, I think we have to say crisscross applesauce yes. is the appropriate term for the, yep. the feet now frayed jeans yes black boots black letterman jacket holding a baby tiger braces. Not two, but three earrings because one was in the cartilage, um, and then bleach blonde hair like uh, Eminem back in the day. It's that so, was me at eighteen. So, eighteen is. Here's what's interesting. Well, this is a question. Okay, let me say it off. Good stuff, Britt. How much of you is still that kid? Oh, good question. Um, I think I have been intentional my whole life trying to make sure. I stayed within a uh, striking distance of, of that kid. So that inner child, you know, yeah. I think that's where the heavy metal comes in. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's part of me that still feels like, Hey, I'm a little bit counterculture and contrarian. Cause I'm this 41 year old seemingly successful guy from the outside, but I like this crazy style of music. I think that keeps me in touch with my roots yeah. uh, there. And I think, you know, part of that too, is I grew up in a household where dad was, you know, running a business rugged, coming home dirty, doing what he had to do for the family. But we bonded over the heavy metal music as well. So there's an attachment oh, there where the baton okay. was passed a little bit. Um, so yeah, I think that kid still exists. He's just dressed a, you know, a little bit nicer right. these days. You, you talked about your dad's work ethic before. Tell me about your parents. Like, mm -hmm. well, let me ask it in this way. So looking at you now, mm -hmm. um, from the outside, if I didn't know you, I'd say, Smart and articulate, um, focused, career focused, growth focused, curious. What about them helped develop you into what you are today? Sure, sure. I think the, I touched on a little bit earlier, the given the freedom, but with that freedom came expectation. Like I, I was telling this to somebody not too long ago, I would always get straight A's. 
but I wasn't getting them at school because I was being rewarded for every A on a report card. At some point in my life, I figured out the expectation was you get straight A's. There was an emphasis on education, but nobody ever had to tell me like intentionally, formally, you need, we, we expect you to get these grades. Mm -hmm. It was just sort of the subtext. And so I think they allowed me a little bit of freedom that, you know, if, as long as I was responsible and did what I was expected to do, there is very little restrictions on, you know, like movement or anything like that, or no, you're not allowed to do this or dress this way, et cetera. But I think from my dad, I got grit and work ethic. From my mom, and I actually had one of her friends the other day tell me this, the bohemian style, she was very bohemian. Okay. My mom loved like, if, yeah, so I speaking in past tense, she passed about a year and a half ago. Um, but she loved weird trinkets. She loved antiques. She loved um, oddities, uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then she would dress in her own style that I could not describe to you. Um, but she had a, this free spirit uh, about her. Um, so I think I collected both of those things and combined them into, into who I am. Did she like music? She did, but you know, there's very few things that we ever like bands that I really yeah. know that we talked about. Um, she was she went up in the disco era, so it was like she uh, definitely did, mm -hmm. did did disco and things like that. But I think the music, the the actual bonding over bands happened with my dad. I yeah. very rarely heard, other than she liked weird things like craftwork. Uh, you remember those guys, like '80s style. <sighs> before know. they came up with the knob turning in the techno oh, before it was cool like yes. before daft punk yep. and those mm -hmm. um and then there was one other band she liked um oh i think she really liked oh oh the name is gonna escape me it's on the tip of my tongue it'll come to it'll you. come to me yeah yeah, yeah. But one of those weird bands yeah. yeah what so what what early bands did you and your dad bond over so it started well, so I grew up in the era when the Nirvana hit the scene, oh, Soundgarden, yeah. Alice in Chains, you know, so it started with that kind of hard rock. Um, I remember specifically listening to Metallica's Black Album, which mm -hmm. is their famous album, right? And then we got into like Pantera in their heyday. We got into White Zombie in their mm -hmm. heyday. And it, it didn't snowball much further from there. I kind of took it and got progressively heavier, heavier where my dad one day, I remember listening to a band called Cold Chamber, which you don't need to know who they are. And he like turned it off all mad. He's like, do they just scream all the time? And yeah. I was like, okay, I found the edge where my dad is that, no longer right. <laughs> interested in this stuff. But right. you know, you wear that when you're young, you wear that like a badge of honor. Like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Found something my parents don't yeah. like. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we talk about it all the time. I probably talked about it on the podcast. I, I grew up listening to R&B and hip hop. And you know, I played basketball, you know, even into college. A lot of my friends were African-American. And so that was just my culture growing up. Okay. And my, now my I still like the old R&B and hip hop, but I tend to like either country or soulful music. Now, I wouldn't say soul music, but we could we could go off there if we needed to. But um, my kids almost all listen to hip hop okay. and R&B, but hip hop. And they're always bringing me new music. Like, Dad, we think you might like this one. And I'm like, maybe one out of 20. Yeah, I was gonna say, did they ever hit the mark? Sometimes. Them? Yeah. Um, there's been a couple of times where it's, rhythmic it's music you know a lot of modern hip-hop is I, but this is what i was the point i was making i'm dad i'm not supposed to like it yeah you yeah, know yeah uh, but they really want me to um there's some stuff i've liked i just you know well so i'm still clinging on to cool i know there'll be a because my kids are six and three right so there's nothing they're going to introduce to me yet because we don't even give them internet access but eventually they're going to be like hey dad you know this have you heard this song and i'm gonna go like that's terrible, uh, but I will, I'm not expected to get it, right? No, you're not. Yeah. You, you've got a good, cool runway still with yeah. your kids' age. So I like to think that I'm still cool. Here's what I've really discovered. 
I don't need to be too cool because if I'm too cool, I, I'm spending some of my time on, uh, not in the right stuff. Yeah. Um, but I am interested enough to, uh, you know, I know a lot of modern hip hop stuff. I think I just read and listen to so much stuff. I absorb it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm able to talk about it. I just don't love it. Um, so I think there's an element of, there's a, there's like a, a window of coolness. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool to have as a dad where you're, Oh, my dad's pretty hip, but I can also make fun of him. So like the window, I picture that window, like it's open, maybe an inch or two. The breeze is coming. There's a draft coming in of coolness. Right? I, I think I've but got it's not wide open. It's not wide open. Okay. I think I'm going to say it's like a, it's, it's a fourth of the way open right now. Okay. I'm still holding on, I think to some coolness, um, but it's, there's some things. We were so we played this game. Uh, some friends of ours came over New Year's Eve, okay, and we were we were going to play games, and we ended up taking out our phone, going to Spotify, and typing in top songs of 1978, and we almost went through every year. And the closer we got to present day, it was like, who is that? I mean, it was it was almost. Then we got to modern day. It's like I have no idea who these mm-hmm. people are. Mm-hmm. So that's where my coolness is starting to wane. Is I just can't keep up with new, new stuff. Yeah, and it's like music especially, but I have a Twitter account. I don't really post anything there, but I have Twitter just so I can follow and keep aware of what's going on. I really like to enjoy memes, right? Like Mm -hmm. what is the current thing that's caught fire for two days and like everybody's making their own version of a meme. But I think it's just like to understand culturally what's going on, but also to go, yeah, I don't really want to be a part of that yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, that's not my Same. jam. Yeah, <laughs> I've done recently, so I have this like hate affair with social stuff. So mm-hmm. I've taken so the Facebook app is off my phone. Same. Um, I can go to Facebook.com and look. We've got a True Network page. I've got access to it, but I just don't go on it. I have an Instagram account because we do post some stuff on Instagram, and I'll scroll it occasionally. Uh, but I put that app on the back page yep. of my phone yep. just because I don't want it there. The only thing that I really, really enjoy is Twitter. I've refused TikTok. Not going to do it because I know it'll suck me in. Mm-hmm. So I've really just said I'm not going to download it. Mm-hmm. I refuse. Yeah. But Twitter, my little, I've crafted this little people group of people I follow that's super interesting to me. Same. And it's really almost nobody in our industry. It's, it's FinTwit people, you know, financial Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's, it's investment folks. Uh, it's some real estate people. It's some sports stuff. None of my friends. I, and I just, I, I just consume. Yeah, I don't think I follow anybody on Twitter that I actually know. And yeah. it's the exact same thing. It's like you curate your feed to have the yeah combination of real estate, investment, yes. I like current events and some politics, some sports, like so, mostly soccer uh, news. Mm-hmm. And then there's this weird wing of the conspiracy stuff that I love to follow just to observe, you know, like the whole Alex Jones coming back on Twitter, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's just stuff that like skirts the edge of is it appropriate or not? Or like, should I follow this person or not? But I'm a, a big, big freedom of speech advocate, like a absolutist pretty Mm -hmm. much when it comes to that. So even if it's something that offends me or I don't believe, I still want to observe and let Mm -hmm. somebody speak. And then decide whether or not I want to interact or follow them after that. But like, I don't like the idea of controlling or putting mm-hmm. guardrails on people's language. It's their life. Um, so then following people that push that boundary intentionally, I kind of enjoy that yeah. because you get to see where the Overton window is, is swinging. I enjoy it. I enjoy it too much. Too much? Yes, yes. Yeah. This is what I, and I think I've said this before on this podcast, but I try to stay away from conspiracy theory stuff because- 
Um, because you go down the rabbit hole? Well, it's so I would not say it's a rabbit hole. I say this is how I feel. Let's say we pick the top 10 conspiracy theories, however you want to put a top mm-hmm. 10 together. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what they are. Um, three of them are going to be true. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm also making that up. It could be two. It could be four. I don't know. It could be one. But it's enough to be like, are it's, you? It's definitely not none. Is the, the yeah. Point. yeah. But yeah. there's one that says, yeah. are you? That's not true. Yeah. That's not true. And then you read about it and you're like, oh, shit, that is true. <laughs> so then you're like, well, if that one's true. Yeah, yeah. Why couldn't that one be true? And actually on an old Joe Rogan uh, episode of Alex Jones, when he was very vulnerable because he was just in the middle of like getting sued and he was had been canceled. Pretty, yeah. And he was, but he was like. Completely canceled. He was really almost like, I think he's got some issues, right? Yeah, so, he's, he seems a little unstable. Yeah. Yeah. But he was saying, he literally said that. He said, I've read so much of this stuff. He was actually talking about the Sandy Hook stuff he got in trouble for. Mm-hmm. And he apologized for it and everything. And But he was like, I've seen so much of this stuff be true. I just, now I question every single thing that I see. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes like an exercise in exhaustion. Because if you really start looking at everything through that lens, you're like, oh man, it's, now I'm going to be a conspiracy theorist. Conspiracy yeah. theorist. And that's just not where I want to spend my energy. Well, yeah, so that I'm the same, right? Like, yeah. Again, awareness of it, entertain the possibility of some of those things being true, actually assuming some of them are, mm-hmm. right? Doesn't necessarily change how I go about my life on a daily basis, but I've, I've seen some friends get sucked down deep in that. Oh, yeah, me too. And next thing you know, like, they're they're almost their whole day is ruined their their persona changes they're stressed out and have no anxiety. they're no fun to be around yeah you're like you need to come back from the edge because even <laughs> if everything you just sent me is true you can't live your life like that because even if they're all true what are you gonna do differently about yeah. your life or how will you change that right um then i just don't want to well i heard huberman say this um you know huberman mm-hmm. yeah so he said, hey, be careful like what viral thing you comment on or what um, conspiracy or uh, you know topic that has a lot of vitriol associated with it. Be careful which ones you attach yourself to because what if that one tweet yeah. goes viral? Mm-hmm. Now your identity is coupled with that thing and it's really hard to come back from that because people either associate with you that with you or expect that out of you in the future. And so now you've attached yourself to some passing yeah, conspiracy or whatever, or controversy, and now you're stuck, right? So I, I intentionally stay away from all of those things publicly. Isn't that such a weird thing that we live in a world where you can make a comment on something, and let's equate that to let's just having a conversation mm-hmm. off camera, but somebody records us. You know, 20 years ago, you could really say a lot of crazy stuff, yeah, and it never come back to you at all. And it might be that you said it in a way, like in the moment, you're like, maybe I believed it, maybe I didn't. Maybe I should have said it, maybe I shouldn't have. But yeah, but I made a comment that turned out to be whack. Yeah. But now somebody tells you that's your identity. Yeah. Oh, you were that kind of person. Or you can't apologize enough or you're expected to apologize too, right? So you really can't undo it. It's really- Because it's in the public sphere forever. Yeah. Yeah. It is the one part of our world today that is bizarrely- well, it's just, I'm struggling for the right word for it. Well, it's terrible. I can't imagine growing up. I started to, this is going to be a weird conversation. Okay. So, you know, with so many kids in their 20s, we have four kids in their 20s. And we also have four kids who have 
varying political beliefs as youngsters. Mm -hmm. And to watch some of the stuff, like even to have conversations with them. And I've learned as a dad and a stepdad, they're just, I don't, I only take it so far, right? I want them to have their own opinions, mm -hmm. to be curious. What I like to say to them is, you know what? It would be cool if you could try to argue the other side. Is it, wasn't it Charlie Munger that said that? He Did said he say something that? to the effect of, you should be able to argue the other side's point of view better than they can mm -hmm. to really formulate your own opinion on something. Or to, if you're going to state a belief beforehand, you should be able to, every counterpoint to your belief mm -hmm. system, you should be able to argue their counterpoint back to you and defend yourself against those points. Somebody just said this the other day. There was no podcast. It was, it's a Tim Ferriss podcast. I'm trying to think who it was. Maybe I will. Uh, but he said, basically, what if I'm wrong about everything that I believe and say? Mm -hmm. Everything. Yeah. Like, what if I'm just completely wrong? And what if we all had that opinion? Like, what if I'm wrong? Don't go to a situation like, by gosh, I am right and I'm going to convince everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm going to guess most of us are wrong a fair amount. More often than we probably More often like than we think. But I actually think that's a good thing. I, I told mm -hmm. this to somebody the other day on a podcast. I was like, I like that you challenged a couple. I think it was I had David Contorno on. And mm -hmm. he challenged a couple opinions I had because I had a little bit of a surface level understanding of the stuff that he operates in on a daily basis. And it was good to have somebody actually go, well, hold on a second. That's actually not true. And here's why. And I go, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I was wrong about that. Right. right. Like, because you were presented with new information. I think the true test of a human being is if presented with new information that, you know, contradicts what you believe, are you willing to accept that and say I was wrong? Or are you going to dig in even further and just be wrong, but not admit it? Right. I would much rather say, you know what, mea culpa. I made a mistake, but I was yeah. presented with new information that actually changed my mind or changed my opinion. And here's why. I don't even think you necessarily even need to apologize for that either, because it's impossible to have all the information. You shouldn't have to. Yeah. I wish our political leaders would take that strategy to heart. <laughs> Nobody can admit they're wrong ever. 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 Yeah. And it, it, it breaks down trust. It you can't admit you're ever wrong. You can never trust someone. True. Because you're never going to, I know you're never going to tell me the, the whole truth. That's a terrible place to be. Okay, hard pivot. Yeah, no, we, back I feel to the like, life. Where will we dig out of this one? Yeah, we, we had a really good. That was a fun train. That, that was, was. Like fifteen minutes. We're, we'll be back here before you know it. Okay, Don't worry. Okay. Um, Pull me back in. Uh, so we're going to go to high school. Okay. Uh, burgeoning soccer star now. Mm -hmm. The eighteen-year-old we just showed. Yeah. What's the? So let's just jump into that. You um, you went to college to play soccer. Did. Yes. Where did you originally go? So originally and also finished there, Drury yes. University in Springfield, Missouri, small liberal arts school um, in just like the southwest corner of Missouri. Right. Yeah. But then you took a detour. Took a detour. Um, so took a detour because I started pretty much every game as a freshman, actually was able to unseat a fifth year senior on the wing. And I, I got recruited to go there kind of out of the blue. Didn't even think I was going to play college soccer until like Three weeks prior to going to school, they said, we, we thought you were great. Would you come see the campus and we want you to play? And I thought, second thoughts, I decided, yes, I do want to play. Mm -hmm. So I didn't put a lot of effort into where I was going to go to play soccer. So Drury was pretty good. We were seven and nine as a division one team. Um, but I had some friends that went to SMU. I had a coach that was an assistant at, at SMU in Dallas, so Southern Methodist University. Mm -hmm. At that time and still to this day, they're one of the top programs in the country. So I thought, we'll go back closer to home. 
test my level to see if I can compete at the very, very highest level of college soccer and just see what happens. Mm -hmm. And what happens was I got in a couple games, but it just didn't. I think I found my level and I was talking to Nathaniel this on, I think, was it you? No, it was Nathaniel in the car. I found I could compete with the guys that were in the best in the country at our age, but not on every every day. Yeah, Their level on average was better than my level mm-hmm. on average. So I could compete some days, some days I would look completely out of place. And so I found my ceiling, went back to Drury, not, 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 a, mm-hmm. you know, not an insult to Drury, just simply went back to that level. But because it was two D1 transfers, D1 and then back D1, had to sit out, yep. broke my toe. <laughs> the next season I could play, three games in, medical redshirt mm-hmm. so i ended up playing six years of, of college soccer right yeah well you stayed in shape yeah i did yeah <laughs> for sure collected a couple more injuries i have yeah. a broken finger broken wrist bad ankle sprains some bone spurs uh yeah it's interesting how many people that are are driven have sub sports backgrounds just a it's a common theme but you know i can't t- tell you how many times we both probably talk to people mm-hmm. And even if it's just highly competitive high school, it's just a lot well, of I don't people think that it's a, a prerequisite no. to be successful no, no, by no, any no. means. But the characteristic and the traits that it builds into you, because mm-hmm. you have to do those things to be good, promptness, being responsible, taking care of yourself, wanting to win, all those mm-hmm. things parlay very nicely into the business world, yeah. especially sales, obviously. Now, did you meet your wife in college? I did. Okay. Yeah. I've asked this after I came back. Though. After you yeah. came back. So I've asked this question on most episodes. Okay. What's the moment that your eyes locked mm. and there was a spark? A spark. Yeah, there was a spark, which could be the first meeting. It could be later. It was cl- it was the first real meeting, but we had been in classes together prior to that. She was two years younger than me, so two mm-hmm. grades younger. So when I came back, I think we shared an exercise science class. And funny story about that, she is a cheerleader. She's tiny. She mm-hmm. At the time, she was probably 5'1", 95 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, flyer, the one they throw up in the air. Right. So she'd come in late to class every time. Mm-hmm. Still to this day, she's late, 10 <laughs> minutes, everything. Uh, but she'd come in late to class. Me and a buddy, Scott, would... All, the whole class would turn around because the jury mm-hmm. had 15 people in a class. Right. So the door would open. Here comes this little thing carrying a huge duffel bag of all her cheerleading stuff. Showing up 10 minutes late, the entire class is staring at her and the teacher's mm-hmm. like, you know, come in, Courtney. And so that was my first awareness of who she was. Okay. But I think it took two years for us to meet, even on a very small campus. It huh. took two years for us to meet. The sparks, if you will, were we met at a party and one of my friends uh, hosted a party. She happened to be there. I happened to be there. Started talking. I mean, we literally talked, no joke, for probably an hour and a half Mm -hmm. by ourselves, standing against a brick wall, uh, you know, but we just hit it off and we found we really, really liked each other. Did you start dating right away? So funny enough, she actually had told her mom prior to us ever meeting that there was only one boy at Drury that she'd ever considered dating. Oh. And it was me. Wow. Which didn't know right until okay. we started we started hanging out. Like it was one of those things where first you go to bars together. Hey, we're going to so and so and let's go dance or whatever. And then about a month in, she's like, Are you ever gonna take me on an actual date? And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, I probably should do that. Right. So yeah. we finally went to dinner and we still actually celebrate our first anniversary of our first date, May twentieth. Um, as kind of our real anniversary, although we got married on May 28th because the place wasn't actually available. <laughs> right. So we had to change the date. But May 20th is like our true 
anniversary of when we first uh, were official. Do you remember the place of the first date? Yeah, Trolley's in Springfield, Missouri, which doesn't exist anymore. Okay. Funny story, I think it was either the first or second year of, was it not Real World? What was one of those other spinoffs besides Real uh, The Bachelor. It was oh. the first or second Bachelor from the winnings or whatever he made on the show, I guess apparently was from Springfield, Missouri. So he started a restaurant called Trolley's in Springfield, and oh. that was where our first date was. Oh, wow. I thought you said Charlie's at first. Charlie's. Troll. I've got a little bit of a, set, a Texas accent, and I get yes. lazy sometimes with my words. Trolley's. Oh, listen, there's sometimes, especially when I'm here for two weeks in a row in Alabama. We're mm. in Lake Gunnersville, Alabama. Mm. Um, Val will look at me sometimes like, what did you just say? <laughs> I'm like, oh. If I say words like right or fine, any of those, they really start becoming like fine, you know? Fine. Yeah. yeah. But you have this, this is the true South, right? Texas is mm -hmm. South, but like the South, what would you consider this? The Gulf South or deep you, South? Deep or, South. Deep South. Okay. Yeah. So you guys have that almost the Southern bell tie. What, what do you even consider that accent? Like, oh, it's, it's, oh, honey, it's you know? deep Southern. It's I mean, deep, some yeah. of my, fr so Val, well, I'm talking about Val, I'm talking about my wife, which she moved from Denver two years ago. And, um, there's sometimes I like I'll know like we'll be talking to someone and they have a very thick accent mm -hmm. and I can just see her just staring. And sometimes <laughs> she'll be like, "Was he? Was that real or was he faking?" I'm like, "No, that was, <laughs> that was real. real. That was real." Yeah. Now you get some real Southern drawl here, very traditional. Mm -hmm. There's some some accents in Georgia that are a little different. You can get a really different Georgia Southern accent. Mm -hmm. Louisiana is a little bit different because they've got a little Cajun influence. So. Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas. Yeah, so something that's the cadence of speech. It's the pace. It's obviously the the you know long drawn out syllables. Unfortunately, I think there's a stigma that that is associated with like oh you're not smart. Oh yeah, because for sure. You have an accent, which yeah. is unfair, but it's just the culture you grew up in and the way you speak. But I, I people will sometimes say hey I don't think you don't sound like you're from Texas. And it's like, well, I did spend five total years in Missouri for mm -hmm. one, but two, I spent most of my time in a burgeoning city in Texas. It's not like yeah. I was on a farm. So there wasn't, and we we're close to Dallas and Fort Worth, the metropolis is there. So you just don't have a thick accent like people presume you do just because you're from Texas. Texas, yeah. yeah. Well, I obviously have an accent, but my friends here call me their city friend. Your city friend. Yeah. And I didn't intentionally, <laughs> I don't think, um, I think sometimes... I unintentionally, intentionally enunciate more. Okay. Uh, just I'm thinking about it on camera, or I'm yeah. talking, or if I'm presenting. But even in those times, I'll you can tell I'm from the south. Yeah. Um, but not not like some people around here. I struggle with entrepreneur. I don't know why. I have to really think about saying that word. Do you have any words that trip you up like that? Brewery. Bre brewery. Yeah. Brewery. Brewery. That one gets me every time. I'm like brewery. Brewery. Can I just say brewery? Brewy? Brewy. Yeah, it tastes really brewy. Yeah. That's the first one that comes to mind. I'm sure if I was here, she would tell me some others. Yeah, entrepreneur. And it's one that you say often, right? Because we, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah. But it's like, I have to really focus on getting every syllable correct because that's one of those words that you can just kind of... There's two things I say that Val thinks is adorable. One is one of those things which would might make you sound less intelligent because I will say might could. Might could? Okay. So... You know, do you want to go to lunch? Oh, we might could. Yeah. And I was like, might could. I'm like, is that not right? Like, that's what we say. Uh, and the other is, I'll say. Is, it, wait, is might could, does it have a comma? Or is it basically like a hyphenated word like might could? I think it's just. 
Because I might. Two could. words. I might could. Yeah. yeah. But might might could. Is you say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other one, she thinks it's hilarious that I will say y'all three, because she's like, that's the, you don't need to say both of those. You could just True. say yeah three of you or y'all. You don't have to say y'all three. <laughs> that's the two things that you probably that I say that are. Well, she thinks they're cute now. How long before she gets really annoyed by those things? I'm, I'm thinking I'm adorable. You're, you're already there. I think. Or you're just well, adorable. We've only been we've only been married less than a year. So that's, I, what, that's what I'm saying. I've the, got well into my yeah, 70s and 80s <laughs> <laughs> until I until it's not adorable. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's. Um, you, you get out of school. Yeah. Uh, what was your major? So I had uh, business administration, and I did exercise science. Again, six years in college, you got to right. build the time. <laughs> right. And I actually did uh, my last year, which was crazy, full ride soccer scholarship, grad school, only six hours a semester. Oh. So two classes a week, oh, three nice. hours. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I was living a good life. That's, that's a golden year. year. Yeah. But didn't finish grad school. Okay. Because I had the idea that hey, I don't want to be twenty four, twenty five have a graduate degree and have zero work experience. That seems like counterintuitive. Right. So I said, no, let's go get some experience. And then I never went back. Yeah. It's so funny looking back on things like that. Again, my kids are all into that age and I've kind of told them to slow down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like especially Val's daughter, my stepdaughter, Tess, is, you know, she went into school with a lot of credits. She was taking kind of an extra class every semester. I was like, Tess, relax. You have your whole life to work. You have no idea what you want to do. Like just slow down a little bit. Like, don't no stress. Mm -hmm. Like, if really college is almost like this sort of privileged thing to do now. Like, you don't have to go to college anymore. You can learn anything you want, but you you have four to five years to find yourself, meet friends, meet cool people, hang mm -hmm. out, have good experiences. Um, my son is taking me up on this, by the way. He's going to take all the five and a half years. Out oh how yeah, far five and a half. Yeah. yeah, I think we've determined he's going to be on the five. Five in a summer plan. Okay. Because he just changed his major to try to speed it up a little bit. But Tessa was like on a three and a half year plan. And it's like, that's. Yeah. Kids, I mean, I, this, this is what I've discovered is you shape your kids to a degree, but they're mm. who they are for the most part, regardless of what you do. Right. You try to keep them out of trouble. Yeah. Make sure they're not a-holes. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, they're going to kind of be who, who they're going to be. I think. Who they're around is so important. Yeah. I mean, probably the most important thing. And I've watched this with friends and family and, mm -hmm. you know, we've all heard it a million different ways. You become the sum total of the five people you hang around with the most. You know, recently there's one that's floating around. Like if you hang out with five smokers, you're going to be the six smokers. If you hang out with five, whatever, you're going to be the six, whatever. It is incredibly important. Um, now it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be like that. Cause again, they are a little bit who they are. Mm -hmm. But man, their friends are important. Yeah, I would I would agree with you, right? And so one of the things we think about is like where the kids are going to grow up, where they're going to go to school, all those things. And I do think when they're outside of your control, right? Like they're at a friend's house with other parents, you mm -hmm. go, oh, are, they, are they cool? Like, do we like yeah. are they good parents, right? You start thinking about that things because they might have three or four hours of influence over your kids at any given time. And then if their friend is getting the same influence all the time from that particular set of parents, like you start worrying about that, yeah. right? Uh, but I do think also it goes the other direction too. If they're great people and you try to cultivate great friendships for your kids and mm -hmm. put them in environments to make those friends, I think, again, that's a, obviously a boon to their life as yeah, well. Yeah, it's an advantage for sure. Yeah. Um, we And we haven't even got to kids yet. We're still, uh, how did you, when you graduated, yep. you went, 
a while you were doing like stand up and comedy. Mm-hmm. Where what was where did that come from? Was it while you were in college? Was it a decision? When did that? So it was happen? after college. Okay. Because my entire identity up to that point was wrapped up in soccer, even mm-hmm. to the very last game, right? Um, and so after that was like, well, I'm supposed to get a job. So I'll go get a job. I had my first job at um, Liberty Mutual as an insurance adjuster uh-huh. uh, doing claims, you know, remotely, basically sitting at a desk. Claims come in. I pick up the phone and call, find out what happened and figure out, try to settle that. You know, that was my, my first job. It was the only company that would hire somebody with zero work experience, but at least on paper had a decent GPA, right? And they would train you and stuff. But throughout that time, I started to think about, well, if I don't have an identity related to a sport anymore, I don't, I had always told myself, I don't want to be 40 trapped in a cubicle. That was a big thing I wanted to avoid. Mm-hmm. So like, what would I do that's cool that would, I always wanted to kind of feel like I did something hard or something unique that if I told somebody I did that, they'd go, oh, wow, they'd perk up and want to hear more, right? Versus, oh, I sell insurance, which you know, right. I do now, but it's like nobody perks up when you when you say that. So it started me down this path of going, well, there was creativity, an uh, uh, element of creativity in soccer because it's a very fluid game. There are such things as creative players, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of a creative player. So then I looked at like, where do you funnel creativity into? And so the notion, I think acting started first because I was a huge fan of comedies growing up, the Jim Carrey's of the world, Adam mm-hmm. Sandler's. I loved all those types of movies. So I thought comedy and writing jokes would be fun. Right. But I, I thought the acting side looked a little bit more fun because you could do improv and you saw all these outtake scenes and stuff. Started there, realized very quickly you had to have an agent, which I got. You had to have other people tell you you're allowed to work, right? You'd have to go to auditions, right. which sucked, right? A very nerve wracking. Or this thing over stand-up, like your son did the other day, mm-hmm. I can go get five minutes on stage, write my own jokes. And if I sign up on this list, they'll let me tell them. Yep. So I get to I get to perform, if you will. And so it started me down the path where I really kind of pittered around in my 20s in terms of career. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to really pursue these creative uh, channels as much as I possibly could. Did you ever consider going to LA or New York? I went to LA for about a week. Okay. Um, slept on my buddy's couch. I was at Benefit Mall at the time, which is a great yeah. uh, small uh, small group general agency. They allowed me to go before remote working was a thing. They allowed oh. me to go work in the California office, sit at a desk. They endorsed it. My boss was cool with it. So I went out there. I told them what I was doing. They were very supportive. And I did, I think, four open mics at the time. Right. And I got the reality of... Here's what it's like to try to get up on stage in LA, the mecca of comedy. And then I also got to see the reality of what life would be like living here. My wife stayed back home. I was married at the time. So she stayed Mm. back home and I go, whoa, what if I actually was good at this and had to travel around all the time? And here I am on the road, leaving my poor wife at home all the time. I started to look at the reality of what success actually would look like in that career. And I realized that I didn't want it. Such an interesting... We're humans are bizarre. Mm-hmm. I look at that picture of you at, at 18 with a tiger and the bleached hair and the earrings <laughs> and heavy metal. And then you're just obsessed with soccer. And then you're kind of searching. Mm-hmm. You get married and you still go out, try comedy. Mm-hmm. And, and you, it's you, pre-kids though, fortunately. Pre-kids. Yeah. But even then you fast forward to like, you know, SVP at Pareto Health with your job. That is such a interesting it's journey. A weird, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's talk about how we got there. So one one thing I'll say, and just to your comment, I have had a unique ability, and I don't think everybody has the ability to think long term down the road. You know, there's a you know this idea of like you mentioned smoking earlier. Why would anybody smoke? Because they know long term means they're probably going to get lung cancer, right? Well, most 
people, I think it's somewhere upwards of 80% of people cannot connect with themselves, their future self that's five or mm -hmm. 10 years because it's too ethereal. It's too esoteric. Yeah. I just can't connect with that. So the immediate reward of smoking a cigarette, I'm going to take it. I think I have the had ability to look down the road and project out what success or failure looks like on a certain path and go, no, or okay, I'm willing to have this level of dif discipline so when I'm 50, I can still move with my kids, right? So things mm -hmm. like that, I think have allowed me to project forward and make decisions about life. Well, we certainly, as a species, are not very good at that. You know, even, so way back when I was, we had our benefit practice, I took about two years and decided I, was, I became obsessed with selling 401ks. Hmm. Because I felt the reward that I was doing good for people because I thought people were taking getting advantage of, the fees were too high. And this was early 2000s. Okay. So way before any of the, this kind of fee craze was going on in, in that industry about reducing fees. But I also became passionate about educating people uh, about how to save. Because I came from a very humble background. Nobody in my family ever had money. And I thought, oh, I can be different here. And my presentation back then, I found this age progression program where you could take a picture of someone and then you could, you know, it was not as good as today's, right? But this was early 2000s. I'll say, well, this is me now. I'm making decisions for the 65-year-old me. Mm -hmm. By the way, this is what this dude looks like. And I created this story. This is, I've got four grandkids and this is all happening. Like that dude is real. Like he is going to make it. Yep. And it's even today, it's so hard to take that, the short-term discipline to realize that you're making decisions for, I'll even take it into parenting. One of the best quotes I've ever heard about parenting is that, you know, you're trying to raise happy 32-year-olds, hmm. not happy 17-year-olds. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And it's, and it's very hard because you you have to probably have more discipline than you would like with your kids. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to not be liked sometimes. That's, but yeah, that's hard. It's hard. Yeah. You're going to have to let them experience some pain because the earlier they experience it, the better. And uh, you don't want it to be too bad. But <laughs> uh, uh, on a podcast somewhere, somebody was talking about the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Meaning like if you're 18, and the worst thing that's ever happened to you is that you don't make the cheerleading team. Yeah. Then that's devastating. But, you know, if you've had some struggles along the way, mm -hmm. you know, you've had some disappointments, it's not as bad. And you can certainly magnify that out. So, yeah, it's cool that you could see that at that age. Well, I don't, you know, no, not, I don't even want to suggest I was thinking about that. I don't want to suggest like I know something that other people don't. But I just was I felt like it was important to be able to think long term and make decisions for the long term, even if that immediate reward wasn't there, because I go, hey, if I want to have whatever this vision is of my life, you got to do some hard things and give up a lot of things to get there. And so I was willing to give up the short term reward for what I perceive and have faith being the long term rewards. Were you consuming any personal development type content or reading anything at that time in your life? Did you, did you have positive influences? You know, so the, the one thing that I did do intentionally, I think in college, especially when I was at SMU and I found myself struggling to tread water at that level, I got real into um, like visualization mm -hmm. of sports. So like there's a meditative side, but there's a visualization side, mm -hmm. like lay down at while well, you're stretching prior to the practice and visualize what your practice is going to look, the success you're going to have, the speed you're moving at. And so almost sort of you trick your mind into believing that you're going to be successful mm -hmm. in this practice. And so I started looking for things like that. I think there was explorations around God at that time and what that looked like and mm -hmm. what I believed. And so I was 
like anybody in college, I think sort of testing theories of my own life and being open to more theories than, you know, I might be today at 41, Mm -hmm. but it was looking, yeah, it was looking for answers or truth or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Let me jump back in the timeline a little bit. Okay. So you were at Liberty Mutual. Yep. Did you go straight from there to Benefit Mall? I did. Yeah. And then after Benefit Mall? Six years at Benefit Mall. Then I went to- So I had a good stretch. Yeah. Yeah. That was where they were really cool with allowing me to do the other stuff. Mm -hmm. Didn't have my- foot on the pedal, if you will, um, for trying to grow in my career. Yeah. And I just, I got opportunities, but it was slow. Then I said, you know what? I want to actually, I, that's, I gave up comedy. My next stop was a, a brokerage called Hayes Companies in mm-hmm. Dallas. Gave up comedy, said, you know what? It's time. I'm 30, 31. Mm-hmm. If I want to accomplish anything in this life, my wife and I were starting to talk about kids at that time. I was like, I need to set aside the childish things, quote unquote, right. and go really pursue this because I have what I believe is potential, but I haven't been living up to the potential. So that haze was really where I learned self-funding. That's where I got to be customer facing, where I started to see what sales actually look like and realize the perception I had of sales and the misconception I had of sales as the used card salesman as a trope was not what sales mm-hmm. actually was. I go, you know, that's what I want to do. And that's where I got into like Sun Life and Amwins and really started selling stop loss. And that's where the career trajectory from an income perspective, mm-hmm. but a growth perspective really took off. And then your what's your next stop? It's Plansite. I was four oh, years prior to okay. Pareto. So two and a half years, three years at Sun, a short stand about a year and a half at, at Amwins. It just, it was one of those that just wasn't, it didn't fit yep. both sides. Then Plansight was this new, exciting opportunity. It was a startup. I got a chance to be a vice president. I got a little bit of stock options. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, wow. If I help grow this thing, and we think yeah. it's going to be huge, and I still think it's going to be huge, but we thought at the time, man, we're going to go like gangbusters. It's going to yeah. explode. And then the reality of a startup and software you know, hit us pretty hard, and you had to go through COVID and all that stuff. Yeah. But talk about you know a learning experience. I got a real-world MBA there. I got to sitting on conversations about raising money and valuation mm-hmm. and boardrooms and got invited in in a lot of conversations that I'd always wanted to be a part of. Yeah. I'm super thankful. All the content that you see I've created was during that time as mm-hmm. well. It started there. And then four years there, uh, vested my shares and you know, Pareto came knocking and it just was the right time and the right opportunity uh, about nine months ago now. It's interesting. We've talked about, I have a long history with Pareto. I'm going to adjust my seat here. Um, you know, our first Pareto case was they would they could probably double check us on this, but maybe case number thirty or thirty five or I mean it was early early on in the life of Pareto. Okay, my my, my actually first call with Clayton was they were still with uh he was still with Berkeley. Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. so I, since then. Yeah. yeah, we had a I can remember the office I was sitting in, uh, you know, because our agency was in Alabama, which is. You know, it's a Blue Cross Blue Shield dominated state. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't use brokers, so there's no fully insured commission basically in the state of Alabama. And so the captive was like, "Oh, okay, this I think this this is super interesting. This is a differentiator. Nobody's really selling it quite yet." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then quickly, I mean, at some point, probably three, four, five, six months later, they started Pareto, and um, I introduced them to a lot of our friends. And before you know it, we're in Nashville at. Well, what's interesting, actually, Kavanaugh texted me last year at some point and said, this time, six years ago, seven, whatever years ago, um, he was actually in Birmingham. He said, we had that little bitty small meeting. They're like, you know, 
Kavanaugh flew down. Oh, members meeting? Or, no, yeah. this was like a, we put, we got like 10 prospects in a row. Oh, okay. Wow. You know, and they came to this little co- yeah. captives and cocktails thing. This was, and this was, I don't know, maybe year two of Pareto, something like that. So I've known a bunch of people, yeah. um, Clayton Kavanaugh, Jack and Boothy, mm-hmm. um, Kristen, um, just a bunch of people for a long time to see where they are now is absolutely remarkable. Um, yeah. What's the scale of the company now? Well, so um, the, I'll have to see the final numbers for Q4, but I think we're in upwards of 2,500 employers now, maybe even more. I could be underselling that. It's it's over a billion one, almost a billion two in premium. Right. Um, and, you know, that, that equates to, I think, around 850,000 belly buttons. Yeah. Inching on a million probably easily next year. Yeah. Yeah. It's just amazing. I, 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 t- I tell the story a lot um, because, um, well, when I tell the story, you'll know why. Probably about four years ago, about four Christmases ago, maybe five, I sent Clayton and Kavanaugh a Christmas card. Okay. And it, I titled it to the two smartest assholes I know. <laughs> uh, but it said something around, you know, I, I really probably learned more from my experience with Pareto mm-hmm. to get me to where I am in my career now than any other entity. Um, simply because it became a core part of our marketing or like it was, we've sold more cases just promoting the captive than we did. I mean, just being smarter, right? Mm -hmm. Go to an employer. Uh, again, we're talking 10, 12 years ago or more, um, go to an employer, talk about the captive, really educate them on it, position in the right way, recommend it, but they're just not ready. Well, Mm -hmm. do you want to work with a broker? He was not doing this kind of stuff? Right. Or would you rather work with someone that's forward thinking that's going to bring this kind of stuff to you all the time? And, you know, we would take over their ancillary and, you know, other stuff. But we sell more business that way. And I also tell our agencies all the time, it's true. Like, you know, when they have pers- prospective member prospective member meetings, mm-hmm. we closed 80% of the people that yeah. we took. And my quote to our team was like, even with Alabama math, <laughs> I know we need to take more people to that thing. Yeah. Like, get them to the right position, make sure that they understand what the value proposition is. And they're, you know, at least at the 20 yard line going in and that those events and those events that I went to make up a lot of kind of what I positioned the true events as originally. Now they've taken on a life of their own now, but that sort of let's enjoy the time we have together as well as being the smartest, nerdiest people, Mm -hmm. that kind of combination is really a bunch of Pareto influence. Well, the one thing I was driving uh, yesterday and I was thinking about this, I was lamenting the fact that I'm so grateful to be a Pareto, but I'm also, there's a little bit of uh, wishing I had been on the ground floor in the trenches with yeah. the people you just listed, lifting off this crazy idea off the ground. Because back at the time, the idea of a captive was pretty foreign to most agencies, right? And the benefits captive especially was still a relatively new concept. So for them to get to go and fly for an eight, you know, eight person prospect meeting and things like that to where it is today, like mm-hmm. the credibility, I think that those folks have in, in lifting this company and then turning it into the behemoth. I mean, yeah. that's the one thing I, 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 there's no regret cause I can't yeah. go backwards in time, but it's like, man, to just be able to experience that and then see it come to fruition a decade later, like it has is probably a pretty great uh, feeling. I'll bet if I talk to them, um, I saw them last year for the first time in a long time, like both of them at the same time okay. at a, a, a event in Colorado Springs. And I will ask them this question next time I see them. But for me, 
and true is a much smaller scale in this. The Patriot Enterprise that we have is very similar, but the joy is in the building, is in that journey. Mm -hmm. Like when you actually accomplish something, um, and you know, I don't know. Well, everybody's made plenty of money, right? Yeah, in the no executive level. That. Yeah. When you get there, and, and I, I say this with whatever word you want to say, privilege, appreciation, all those kind of things, mm -hmm. is that you realize the fun was in the building. Because once you get to a point, you're like, well, what? Dude, what athletes am I gonna do talk now? about that all the time. When they win a championship mm -hmm. and they get there, and then the next day they're like, well, now what? Yeah. Because I, I accomplished it and that's what it feels like. Okay. And they realize it didn't fulfill whatever burning desire was. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's part of being an athlete too, I think, is to reset and go try to do it again and have the same level of passion. But you're right. I, I wonder that too, right? It's like once you once it's been built and you know, there's been some transactions and money's been made, do you have the same burning passion as you did from day one when you're trying to keep the lights on? I, I suspect it's very hard for anybody to maintain that over a long period of, uh, of time. There's this I'm working on. We talked about we're both doing some speaking this year. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'm, I'm working on is is a, a little bit around that. It's, you know, I'm not going to call it mindfulness. Uh, we talked about words we don't like in our last conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what were they? Authentic was one. Authentic of them. was one of them. And there was another one, too. I think you had one that you didn't like. Yep. Well, think about it. But I think if you can do the right amount of introspection to create a level of self-awareness to be where you are, to say, okay, since I know the joy's in the building, then let me do the things, let me construct my life in a way that I'm building. Mm -hmm. uh, and that sounds like, oh, well, that's easy, but it's really not. If you're not purposeful about it, you can pretty easily get distracted by other trappings of life. You can get sucked into problems that aren't problems. But to know like, do you know, where was I getting joy? I was getting joy when I would do cool creative things and it would help people and they would love it and they would tell me how cool it was and there was an emotional connection and that would make me want to do more of that thing mm -hmm. and you would do more of that thing and it created more connection. It's all, to me, I've discovered it's all about the people and it's about building relationships. Uh, I would say nurturing relationships, but also helping the connection of other relationships yeah. and just well, seeing you, that happen. I suspect, and I will ask you this question, do you get to a certain point though when you felt you've accomplished some of the things you set out to accomplish where you might actually derive joy out of bringing others along to do the same? So with that, the answer is unequivocally yes. Okay. Because your purpose a little bit changes. If you've reached a level of, let's just say financial success where that's not a motivator, mm -hmm. there has to be a motivator, really. So, so mine right now is quite honestly the true team. That you know, you're in a position to where I can have direct impact on the lives of the f people and the families in the tr within the true network. And that is a really cool place to be. And it's easy to get, it is so easy to get selfish and sidetracked from that, you know, because if you polled a hundred people worth, worth a couple million dollars, 10 million, 20, whatever, whatever the number is, if you said, Hey, what's your goal? Where do you want to be? Almost everybody doubles their number. That's funny. To say, let's say someone's worth $10 million. Say, well, I'd like to be worth $20 million. If they're worth $2 million, they was like, well, I'd like to be worth $4 million. Mm -hmm. They just double the number. And like, where where did you say you wanted to be 10 years ago? Right. And it's usually less than their, their number yeah, they're at today. Yeah, today, yeah, yeah. There's this kind of thing that is, it's just, I don't know why, but it is real. Mm -hmm. 
you get caught up in that. And it's, there's a danger of being too introspective. And that's really what I've been working on with some of this presentation is you want to be self-reflective. You want to have self-awareness, but you can spend too much time on that because the more you're focusing on yourself, the less you're focusing on them. Can I insert a tool lyric here that's relevant? The yeah. band tool. Um, there's a lyric that says overthinking, overanalyzing separates the body from the mind. I got to jump back because I just had a memory about tool and one of our original interactions. Okay. And then you just, when you said you have a tool, I thought you were going to talk about a tool. And then you said the band tool. The band tool. So let me hear the quote again. The, the Overthinking, again. overanalyzing separates the body from the mind. So what you were oh, yeah, talking yeah. about is like getting too deep introspective and forgetting to live or to mm -hmm. enjoy or to be. Yeah. I have a tendency towards that where there's sort of an obsession about certain, certain things and a constant mulling over and thinking and again, projecting out in the future a lot as mm -hmm. well that I forget to just be here often. It's one of the reasons I love podcasts, quite frankly, yeah. is because you're here right now. Right. And you get to stay in this moment for an hour, hour and a half. And it's, it reminds me to continue to focus on what's right in front of me as well and enjoy it. I'll add to that too, in that it's just the doing, right? It is. So in addition to not overanalyzing so you can be in the moment, if you're doing too much of this sort of inner work and talk and introspection, you're not doing things. Yeah. And let me just tell you, if there's one thing I've learned through True, is that just do it. Just do stuff. I yeah. mean, just do it. You know, every event brand we've launched, I think we're, I think we're still at 100% success right now. Um, we're eventually going to have a dud. Yeah. It's just going to happen. No, it's not. What am I saying? We're not going to have a dud. You never, you never know. It may, we, it may not meet expectations. Yeah, it may not. Yeah. I just don't like to admit that it might happen. But I think uh, anything you do creatively eventually you're going to find something that falls for yeah. it. It's inevitable, right? Yeah. And I think even you may not be pushing boundaries enough of oh, make, that's it. pushing yourself. So you one don't. thing about being part of a larger organization now with Patriot, I would say the the primary downside or negative is that you're, you know, there's some jokes I can't make now. Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, like I could make them if it was just me and somebody could call me and say, I was offended by that. And I was like, shut up. That was not offensive. Yeah. You know, my heart, that was funny. That was hilarious. That was not offensive. Mm -hmm. There's some things I can't do now. That's peanut butter. That's really probably the main downside <laughs> yeah. is I'm is our creative skits and stuff. Britt and I have written Britt Burns, creative director back there. We've written some funny stuff, and it's mm -hmm. been like, oh man, can't do it. Mm -hmm. One of the best ones we had is you know I play these various characters in some of our skits. Yeah. Uh, one of them is this DJ Couch Money character. Yeah. He almost got canceled uh, at one point. He did. He almost got canceled. Okay. He's back with some strengths. <laughs> um, he's just a bumbling, stupid DJ. Yeah. But I'm not going to go through that again. <laughs> but, and also play Forrest Gump, Scotty Gump. Yeah. And so this was during the, the, the heat. I think it was the first, was it the first Trump election or the second one. I can't remember that cycle, but we had this concept of we were going to do a Gump couch money ticket <laughs> where, where Scotty Gump like his saying was, my mama always say it. Mm -hmm. Like every time in an interview, someone would ask him about foreign policy or <laughs> Medicare. He's like, well, my mama always say it, that. And it would just be that. And then there was going to be a political meeting where we were struggling with everything but the female vote. <laughs> and Couch Money thinks he's a player. So he was like, yo, yo, you know, I got that, you know. Yeah. And we just did it. And it was, it was kind of in the heat of 
COVID George Floyd stuff. Sure. So it was like tense. Yeah. And it was like, we just can't do that. But I saw your face. That's a funny skit. Yeah, that, it's that's funny. funny. I'm thinking how far I would try to take some of the jokes <laughs> right now. Like, and it's, it is interesting, right? Because we exist still in a corporate world. I think about this all the time with content I create. No matter what I do, I'm a representative of Pareto, even if I'm not representing yeah. him in that particular moment. So I think about that, right? And there's a contrarian mindset that Andrew Cavanaugh and Andrew Clayton and Kristen McKenna have con, you know, infused. Jack, you mentioned earlier, they intentionally were contrarian, right? Mm-hmm. So there was this coolness and a swagger and a little bit of like, well, if you don't like it, that's yeah. fine. Well, then we'll go down down the street. So there's a little bit more freedom with a, a culture like that. But as we grow and we become more corporate, I don't know if that'll always be the case. I think about that, right? Is this joke okay? Is, did I find the line? Will I get a slap on the wrist? Will somebody yeah. say, Spence, you can't put that up, right? I don't, hadn't happened yet. I suspect it might happen at some point. Um, but I, I also, I think you have to have your own, um, I don't know, foresight and intelligence to yeah. go, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. Like if I think there's doubt here, there's a couple of times where we've bleeped something out of a podcast or yeah. Nathaniel and I've pulled a joke out of a script because it's like, ah, I yeah. can see what the repercussions would be if that went wrong. So let's yeah. not do that. Right. Yeah. I've only had one where I, I, I knew it was kind of wrong and I thought it was so funny that it was going to work, mm-hmm. man. It was not good. It was not it didn't good. didn't work. Yeah. Oh, it, it was hilarious. Oh, here's the thing. It's hilarious and true, but it just, can I tell the joke? Let, let me tell you what I, it is. If you, I would love if you. So this is what it was. Okay. Um, I do between true firms, mm-hmm. right? I take on Zach Goff and that goes between two firms. We do it right over there, but we bring in big pictures of true members, big fat heads. Mm-hmm. And we, we do it instead of between two firms, we do it between them. And I play myself, but I play like the Zach guy, like, you know, the kind of the dumb, bumbling, inappropriate, but I can't go as ridiculous as he sure. goes. So Val, my now wife, was, we were just dating at the time. So I bring her in to do one of these episodes. And nobody we should actually we should, i haven't done we, Brett, we need to do one of those again we haven't done I one of those in forever about this when i was getting the updated tour of the studio i was like when's the next true firms coming oh out? man i it's time to bring one back okay they don't know what's coming and we try to do them in one take right i think all of them but one we did in one take you know because you get authentic reaction you get authentic reaction yeah so we get to a point and the, the where i got in trouble was i said so you have an all-female staff mm-hmm She's like, yes. I said, so 18 women together all the time. She's like, yep. I said, I mean, together every day, all the time, together, all the time, together. She's like, yes. <laughs> I said, so are there any months that are particularly tense? Are there any weeks of the month yeah. that are particularly tense in your yeah. office? And she was like, oh my God, no, there's not. I'm like, so it's this week, right? That was it, right? <laughs> and she was like, we got done. She was like, you can't. You're not. Yeah. Do that one. I'm like, it's true. I'm just being real. Like women menstruate at the same time. Yeah. When they're together. Yeah. They do that. That is my understanding. That's my understanding. Scientifically speaking, speaking it's the truth. Okay. And there are symptoms of that. And I think it's a pretty funny joke. She's like, they're, women are not going to find that funny. I'm like, really? Like, I really think that's funny. Mm-hmm. And I left it in and got a call from HR quickly after Whoa, that. Okay. It was like, hey, that's too much. And I actually called the person who complained. And I was like, listen, you, I, I don't know if you know my heart, but I, that's just to me was comedy. And she was like, you know, women have struggled so long, get a foothold in the workplace that 
it's it's hard to overcome some stuff like that. Like that's not cool to say stuff like that. And I was like, okay, you're right. I shouldn't have done that. The unfortunate uh, thing, and this happens often, one person complains loud enough, yeah, gets you to go against your instinct and what you believe is funny. Ninety nine out of a hundred people probably would have thought it was funny. I think this is probably 75, 25. Okay, this is probably too many. A, that means that's a great joke then. Yeah. If you offended 25% of the people, that but 75, you still got a majority on your side. Um, I could have done it pre-Patriot. Yeah. And gotten away with it. Yeah. But I was like, okay, I get it. Like to but me- the barometer in comedy is always, is it funny, is it not? Like that's, is it funny, is it not? Um, but we don't have the same freedom. Don't have the same freedom. Comedy no. Has, right? So let so. me just say, I want to go on record as saying that was not a good joke to make. That was bad I want to, I want to make sure Let's that everybody knows. This from this I, I don't even want to be associated yeah. with that joke. Yeah, but, okay? but I was supposed to do that. Um, but there's been some others that I've had complaints on that are, are you wouldn't believe. I mean, I got a couple of complaints on another skit that, I mean, somebody complained about me playing Forrest Gump. Hmm. That, that he was learning disabled and I was making fun of learning disabled people. And I'm like, I'm, that's a character in a movie. Like I'm not Is making- Is he also mad at Tom Hanks? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think, maybe, <laughs> maybe. But that's the kind of, there is a, there's a risk that you take. You're in a, in a pretty cool spot because you do have some contrarian people that are a little bit tougher. I mean, you do have a large corporation, but you've got some pretty cool well, leaders. Well, I think Philadelphia as a city, right? Mm -hmm. it, there, there is a, there is a persona. Yeah. And so that persona is pretty cool and yeah. don't give, you know, yeah. and so <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. okay, I can, I can, uh, I can vibe with these people. Yeah. yeah. If it was truly, truly super buttoned up corporate, they would have never reached out to me in the first place. Right. Yeah. Like I think there's an understanding. Yeah. Right. And then one of the things I was talking about this on a podcast yesterday or a couple of days ago, I hope that what you and I and other people like us can do is actually not make insurance cool, but actually expose it as already being cool. Yeah. And we're just shining a light on it, right? We're talking about it. We're using humor as a way to teach. Um, I hope that that's what can happen where there actually is a generation maybe behind us that goes, geez, I want to do that. You can do that in insurance? Cool. Uh, the best part of this, when I, the people that you've talked about, right? If I just take those people, Kavanaugh, Clayton, McKenna, uh, yeah, Boothy, no, I'm not going to, let me take Boothy out of this equation. <laughs> I about said Jack, Jack, I was, listen, I'm, I'm poking fun at them too. Yeah. But there's a bunch of really smart, cool people. Yeah. And I look at some of the people in our organization, you know, I mean, look at Britt back here as a creative director is in our industry, really. Mm -hmm. um, Stephen McNeil on the True Team is one of the funniest, most creative people, just one of the best humans ever. So you're right. It is. I really haven't thought about it in that perspective, not trying to make it cool, but just we just be who we are. Yeah, I show that it's already cool. I mean, the, the conversations that you have around drinks, right, or on a bonfire, you know, yeah. or, you know, like at a retreat or something. Like those conversations happen. We all know they happen. And I'm not, not saying we're talking about anything that's controversial necessarily, but everybody in this industry is human. Mm -hmm. A lot of them have great senses of humor. Yeah. A lot of fun to hang out with. Very smart. And a lot of them very successful as well. But there's this idea that you have to be this one thing between nine and five and you have to yeah. pretend we're all perfect people and that we don't like an off-color joke every once in a while. I just think that's disingenuous. So I'd rather say instead, we're all human. Mm -hmm. We all laugh at the same things. Yeah. Toilet humor or whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, oh, by the way, we also do this thing as a profession and you should consider it too. Like I look at it as almost trying to shine a beacon to say, Hey, 
17-year-old kiddo that doesn't know what they want to do in their life. Mm -hmm. Have you considered this? And here's what we've been able to do inside of this industry. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to be able to attract some really bright talent that otherwise might have gone to something else yep. tech or something that is perceived as cool on the outside. I think we have the opportunity to attract those people instead, right? And then have some people come in and solve yeah. the problems we're trying to solve. I've got a real life experience. You know, my son, who, we, who I talked to earlier, did this kind of cool open mic stand up mm -hmm. recently. Um, was interned with us this summer along with one of his best friends. And he's right now, he's got about a year and a half, a year and a, a class left, something like that. And, you know, he's thinking about what I want to do. He's like, you know, dad, I'm really struggling between what he thinks is taking the easy way. Like I could help him get a job in our industry. It's up to him to do all the things, but I could help him get a, a his first job. Um, do I do that or do I try to make my own way and do my own thing? Yeah. And, but what he has seen is the cool lifestyle that's provided. Yeah. And it's like, well, there is a way, listen, 99% of my net worth came after age 45. Mm -hmm. That's in the last, that's all in the last seven years. And the seminal moment is when I started being myself. It's a great point. I mean, well, I talk about you know, a lot too. I didn't start in sales until I was 30, like I said, 31 or 32. I can't remember exactly how old I was, but like I started late, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't regret that I started late in it, but I caught up pretty quickly too, right? And so I think there is a misconception, especially because of the influence of social media, that you have to be a baller and right. taking pictures <laughs> in front of a Lambo when you're 19 yeah. years old or you're a failure, I think it's really important to show, hey, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that didn't even actually become an entrepreneur until after 40. They probably mm -hmm. worked their whole life, then started a business in their 40s and became successful. And all you see is the aftermath of that. You didn't see all the work that they were working for somebody else or doing something that you wouldn't perceive as cool. It's possible to do things in your 50s and 60s and 70s and still make it, right? Um, so I, I think people, and I, I think Gary uh, V is very adamant about this, is like mm -hmm. everybody you mentioned earlier wants to go so fast. Yeah. You got a lot of time. Too. Like I discovered that. Yeah. Well, I, assuming we all know when we're, you know, like, I don't know if I have time, time on this earth. Right. But if, from a career perspective, you got time. I'm a big fan of talking to my kids about moving forward, you know, being curious and learning. Um, if you're always doing that, I think you're on the right path. Now, listen, I'm not saying you can, you know, meander until you're 45 and do nothing. And no, I mean, I'm really, even if you look at your path, when you were ready, right? You were ready. You found the maturity level. You were in an industry where you could advance mm -hmm. and you took all advantage of that and you have caught up. But it's not like you weren't doing anything, right? You were still curious. Yeah. You're I still prepared. Like you're preparing for something, but you don't know what you're preparing for. Yeah. Like it is really, um, you want to be ready when the moment comes, but you don't know when that moment is going gonna, is gonna to arise. So then you have to, sort of build skills and, you know, build soft skills and, you know, the characteristics of a successful person. And then when that opportunity comes, you do have to seize it. But mm -hmm. like a lot of that, and I've discovered a lot is out of our control, especially in terms of outcomes as well, but opportunities often are out of our control. The last few jobs I've been able, fortunate to get were out of the blue, mm -hmm. inbound, right? And so yep. it's not like you're looking for them. And so I think life will tend to reward if you do the right things over a very long horizon and then these opportunities will come. I still though don't have know exactly what the outcome is going to be yeah. and I accept that as well. It's so, like kind of that you spend 
most of your time in this middle, right? Yeah. Whatever this ambiguous middle is. It's the growing part. You know what? Let's, I want to look at some pictures. Pictures? Oh, yeah. is that what? I've heard a lot of clicking over here. I Brett, assume something was being cultivated. Can we have some family pictures up here? Ninety. So let's look at- All right, so, so this family, yeah. So we've talked about a lot of, you know, introspective things, but- yeah, for those of you who cannot see, this is your lovely family. So that's Courtney. Mm -hmm. I met Courtney at Oasis this year. You did, yeah. You came to the was well, super uh, cool for inviting me, by the way, and letting me bring her. That was oh great. man, thank I'll, you. You're invited again. Thank you. It's going to be a, an incredible event. Yeah. Um, the same week, August twenty sixth through twenty eighth. Okay. Um, all right. What are the what's the little kiddo's name? So here? Brooklyn, uh, six, soon to be seven, with the little pigtails, um, sitting exactly like Mom is sitting. Right. Which she's picked that up, obviously, and then Bash, my little guy whose legs don't even extend off the, the couch. Right. Um, he is three, Sebastian. But we, we nicknamed him Bash proactively, so nobody called him Seb, Sebby, Seabass. Okay, yeah. so Bash. Yeah. Man, you are in the thick of it. Yeah, no, they're... Contrary to what this picture suggests, they are both absolute handfuls. <laughs> well. you know? yeah. they, they, between the somebody saying, hey, smile and cheese and take a picture, you know, we can get them to sit still, but they very rarely sit still. Well, let me just tell you what's, what's starting to happen at Lake Gunnersville. Okay. People are starting to bring their families for vacations. Mm. So do you know Joey and Adrian Jansen at 212 Benefits? I know of them. Okay. I remember that... Mm, is it two twelve? I remember that skit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, was a, that. that was a yeah, funny yeah. part of a skit. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's and, why I remember two twelve minutes. Well, yeah. I also have to mention Eric Kotsas Ross is the third partner there. Eric Ross, one of the. Oh yes, yes. I definitely know who Eric. Is. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah. Eric Ross is the third partner in that, uh, but Eric didn't come this summer. Uh, Adrian and Joey brought their two girls for the whole Fourth of July week. They rented a little house over here in a cool little spot with a pool on the lake. Britt, how old are your kids? Five, five, through five of them. Yeah, five of them, five through 12. Five, seven, five, seven, 11, nine, 11, 12. No, two five-year-olds, five oh, twins. twins. Right? That's yeah. right, okay. But they bonded, so they hung out all the time, uh, Fourth of July week. Um, Mike and Jackie Crane, Mike Power, Jackie Crane Power, Benefits Texas, Okay. Uh, with Jackie. They're talking about looking to buy a house here. The Jansons are looking at a you're putting at a Gunnersville in the lake map. home. Yeah, I, I would not be surprised if somebody. I think the Jansons are for real. I think they want a lake home here they're for a vacation. Here, yeah, I just I just talked to Joey about doing the podcast Fourth of July weekend because we did go. we did Adrian last year. So what I think in a couple of years I'm going to open up you know, one of those magazines, Forbes or whatever, and it's going to top 10 fastest growing summer destination spots. <laughs> Lake Gunnersville. Gunner, Lake Gunnersville is going to be at the top of the list. Well, and uh, with a special thanks to Scott Smith. I hope you know. not. I hope we stay a little bit under the radar because yeah. we've grown so much yeah. over the since COVID. We kind of got discovered during COVID. Is this the only picture we have or do we have another one? I sent one other one, another family photo. But yeah, that was our Christmas photos. And this oh, is... Oh, yeah. Same crew. Bash, before we cut off his shag. Um, this was San Antonio... Summer, there's a, well, not a Hilton, but um, Marriott, I think, that's got a self-contained water park. Yeah, there. like the, yeah. I've, I've been to that one before. Yeah. It's it got the Lazy River. Lazy River mm -hmm. slides. And so basically we just stayed there for three days in a row and all day, you know, spent time on the water. And I think my wife, so funny story, my wife was walking the dogs in the flip-flops with Sebastian, maybe Brooklyn too slipped and fell on this little culvert that kind of crosses over. There's a little mini lake next to us. 
slipped and fell in flip-flops. She hadn't been walking on in the first place, but that's a different story. Walk, <laughs> walked across. Dog goes one way. Knee goes the other way. I think oh, no. MCL uh, strain, fortunately mm-hmm. not a tear, but that's why she's wearing a, a knee brace. And we got to make fun of her the whole whole trip. Well, well yeah. that's, you know, what's vacation without <laughs> some injuries, sicknesses? Yeah. Um, it's hard to go on vacation with a family, with a young family, and something not happen. Oh yeah, to, uh, so we just successfully completed a staycation at the Gaylord Texan for Christmas year prior. Bash while we're getting ready for bed. We'd already had all our fun that day. Slips in the bathtub, busts his chin open, oh. gushing five stitches. Oh, they had to have like the EMS, which apparently I didn't know this. A big resort like that has like tunnels and stuff where you hit oh. an EMS button and they show up in like two minutes and they can cut across a property unseen. Wow. So they yeah, obviously took care of him, but we had to take him to urgent care. So our vacation, we didn't even stay that night. We actually had to <laughs> leave. And we, the year later though, flash forward, we unfortunately unscathed. Man, how old are you? 41. 41. And you're not old 30, enough. There's a pause. Not, I had to think about it. You're not 37. We've had so many guests that have been 37, which exactly Brits. Hey, Nate Dog, how old are you back oh, there? You're, yeah, wait for this one. 23. 23? 23. Man, wise beyond your years. He is, yeah. By the way, Nate is uh, does a lot of your creative stuff. Videography, production, yeah. editing. Shout out Nathaniel Smith. Shout out Nathaniel Smith. Third Smith in the room, none of us related as well. I know. They were asking, I was booking your hotels, and they were like, what's the Nathaniel's last name? And I looked, I was like, oh, Smith. Yeah. 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 Not my brother. No. Common misconception. Yeah. Not related. Yeah. Uh, Nathaniel, what's your middle name? Edward. Nathaniel Edward. NES, like Nintendo. Yeah. You know, I like to, I, I'm not saying that you guys have not listened to all the episodes, because I don't want to look at you badly but hopefully you'll go back and listen to all the episodes but it's my whole life i've given people nicknames okay like just silly goofy nicknames Mm -hmm. and i think before we leave i'm gonna think okay did you have a nickname or do you have a nickname the i had a soccer nickname yes which is kind of embarrassing but an english guy called me silk because i was silky smooth oh silk which sounds yeah. Yeah. But it's just because I was a technical player and smooth with the ball. Yes. That was, but that, I don't really have a nickname now, if you will. Were you ever, were you ever Spence? Do people call you Spence? Oh, Spence. Yeah. Spence here and there. I was Spank Dog, which, uh, which is like, not, spank not what dog. you think, but like Spanky of the, what I like Spank Dog way better than Silk, by spank the way. Spank Dog. Yeah. In my, in high school and junior high, I was Spank Dog. Well, a, what's up, Spank? Spank yeah, Dog. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Because um, there's an R&B group named Silk. That's what I think about when I think about it. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. That. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did well, you have growing up? So I have had a lot of nicknames in my life. My high school friends called me Scott Rock. Scott Rock. Scott Rock. It came from uh, playing football probably ninth or 10th grade. And I went across the middle to catch a pass. And I got completely knocked out. And this was before CTE <laughs> and everything. I was cold, out cold. Yeah. And I'm laying there just knocked out and one said, Hey, I think Scott's hurt. And the coach said, Oh, Scott's not hurt. He's got a head like a rock. And then somehow that turned into Scott rock. And you, you did you play the next play as well? The next yeah, round? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, just, I probably, I went over to the side and came back in. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then in college playing basketball, it, it became Smitty for Smith. Yeah. I think yeah. at some point, everybody that's a Smith. Yeah. Smitty. Yeah. Smitty. Smith. I didn't even think about that. Were you ever Smitty? Not really. One one of my friends growing up called me Spinner Myth instead of Spencer uh-huh. Smith, Spinner Myth. But th- there was never a Smitty. Like, no. no never got Smitty. So there's about a three-year window of my life where that all those people call me still call me Smitty. They still do. Um, 
Is there anything? Oh, and then I had a I had a big reggae part of my life in my early twenties. <laughs> I got completely obsessed. Um, I worked. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm no, it's not picturing you as a reggae. Yeah, like your not reggae very face. likely. So I, um, after college, went to Atlanta where my mom had moved, and I started working before I got a real job in this Tex-Mex restaurant. Okay. And a bunch of the folks there were from St. Croix. And we just started listening to reggae music with them. And I had another friend, Jay Diebel, who's a, in the educational system in Gwinnett County, Georgia, great dude. We both kind of just fell into this culture with all these folks from St. Croix and St. Lucia. And we r became obsessed, not just like regular people that are like, oh, like Bob Marley. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, no, no, no. This is like dance hall, very aggressive like Buju Bantan and Beanie Man and people in the band. So uh, there's a, a term in reggae culture of ranks, okay, like Shaba ranks. Shaba ranks, I've heard. Right, yeah, which yeah. means elevated or above. Ah. And so all those people in my life called me Scotty Ranks. Scotty Ranks. Scotty Ranks. It's still my Instagram handle. Uh, like some of my kids' friends call me Scotty Ranks. That's awesome. Yeah, they call me Scotty instead of Scott or Mr. Smith, they all call me Scotty, but some of them will call me Scotty Ranks. Scotty Ranks. That's yeah. now I like that nickname a lot. Anywhere I go. So I was just at this event in Orlando um, and at the, uh, no, not true. The Boca Raton Hotel in Boca. And a bunch of their staff were, were Jamaican. And so I was sitting at the bar, the two bartenders were Jamaican, and I heard a Bujibantan song playing like in the back. And I sang a couple of lyrics when it came on and they looked at me and I was like, that's old Buju. That's mm -hmm. before Buju went to jail. He went to prison for cocaine smuggling. Ah, yeah, tough. As it he did get yeah. set up though. It loves to be, he got, he got set up. He, oh, a hundred percent. He got set up. You. I believe you. Now he did it, but he got, he got set, set up. up too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, entrapment for sure. Um, but I have these, like whenever they see, like when I tell them my nickname is Scott T. Ranks, we end up having this at one time I could talk with a Patois. It was the funniest thing ever to see this pill. Ready you know, to that reminds me of, we Jamaica did a Patois. Tom Broker's kit, and I know we're going to wrap here soon, so I don't want to keep us, uh, go tangent, but Nathaniel and I were trying to choose music and what reference we would go, like, because uh, Tom Broker likes he, hardcore gangster rap, but then he references, like, Marky Mark and, and uh, Eminem, and, <laughs> right. and they're all, like, nerdy white rappers. But then we were, uh, you remember Snow? Oh, yes, I remember. Informer? Informer? Yeah, of course. And I was, like, I, I was a kid when that came out. I love that song. Yeah. And then I tried to go look at the lyrics, and I'm like, these aren't even words. I don't even know what these were like. And so I had to Google what all of these things meant, but literally 50 plus percent of the words were whatever this slang is that I don't even understand. Is that from, is that like a Jamaican yeah, style yeah, yeah. slang? Okay. Yeah. But I, it was like, is this a, are we getting the light Brit or is that? Okay. I thought this was like when you do I stand it was up like and the they're flashing, like, wrap like we're it ready. Up, it is time to wrap up. It's perfect. That's yeah, perfect. It's yeah. perfect timing. Yeah. Technical difficulties. Because we do need, because we've gone an hour and 30 almost. Cool. Um, I love it. Well, man, I lo great yeah. conversation. Yeah. I could do this for hours. Uh, same. Yeah. Um, we are going to, spoiler alert, we're going to shoot a little Tom Broker skit. Yeah, we are. Today or tomorrow? I think we're going to do it tomorrow. Okay. Right, just to give ourselves complete clean slate. To oh, do good. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we have to cheers at the end of every episode. Cheers. Do we cheers? We cheers. Thanks okay. for. Do we touch? Oh, oh yeah. I'm short. Okay. Thanks for hanging out. True love. Hands up, hey.